Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So let me me just encourage us to turn to Mark chapter 11, starting from verse 20. We're going to look at about five verses today as we talk about turning point. If you remember in part one, Pastor Bo talked about how our turning point starts when we slow down and see life from God's standpoint, how that's important. Part of it is learning how to break and also to be able to steer as we navigate towards the future. And we looked at Psalm 90. And so today we want to talk about accelerating, especially as you're slowing down, as you're going into the turn, you have to speed up so that you can make that turn. Or you're going to cause traffic, or some of you will not move at all. So we want to talk about going to the turning point as we accelerate. I think it's important as we talk about acceleration that we got to think about what's ahead of us. And so the question I want to ask us this morning is simply, how many of us so far have made any New Year's resolution? Can you raise your hand if you did that? Okay. <laughs> only a handful. This is, this is kind of interesting. It's really interesting that only a handful of you. Okay, let me ask you. Maybe some of you guys were a little bit sluggish. So how many of you have made some New Year's resolution? All right. Okay. <laughs> Now some of you are feeling a little bit guilty. I, I'm kind of, I'm thinking about it. But as some of you have made New Year's resolution, I'm wondering how long does it take before you stop doing the New Year's resolution? Do, do you guys know? Well, studies have shown that it's usually around the second to the third week. Well, whatever resolution you have made, it's going to stop. And so I think for many of us, if you made some revolu- uh, resolution... <laughs> We hope that there will be a revolution, but if you made some revol... <laughs> Let me say it again. If you... you know what I'm thinking about. <laughs> we want to change the world. Okay, let me, let, me, let me back up here. If you made any resolutions, you know with the fact of the two to three weeks, then you're going to go back to the life that you lived. I'm wondering how encouraging that is when you hear something such as that statistics. I, I was kind of thinking about my own resolutions that I've made over the years. And some of you know that I've made this one for several years now. And I'm trying to be faithful as best as I can. And I just have a confession to make this uh, morning. As some of you know, I've decided every single year, January 1st, that I'm going to do 40,000 sit-ups and 40,000 push-ups. And so within one year, so if you do the math, it roughly comes out to about 110 sit-ups and push-ups per day. Now, if you think about it, it it seems overwhelming, but it's not that hard. It only takes probably, what, 10 some minutes to do it, uh, depending, I guess, how I feel. But it's, it's a little portion of my time. But this past year, as I sadly looked at my record... Because what I do is I have this thing where it's all marked off 110 a day. And as soon as I'm done, I push this button or this little check mark, and it goes and says accomplish. I was looking at this before I was preparing the sermon because I knew that I wanted to share a little bit about resolutions, which will lead to a revelation and a (laughs) revolution. Uh, I looked at this, and my confession is I was good for only three months. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that's not that good. 
in the bigger scheme of things. And this is why I'm realizing that any kind of resolution that we make, not only accountability, but also just encouragement along the way and discipline, these are all things that we need in order to accomplish some of the stuff that we have set out. So what I wanted us to do is I want to show you this video. Uh, it's a brief history of how resolutions, especially during the new year, came about. Give some statistics about how long that people keep up these resolutions. And then just kind of give us some perspective of what it is that we need. So uh, they use this high-tech stuff. So let's just watch this together, and we will come back afterwards. Did you get that? Uh, one of these days, we'll be preaching off one of those things. But I hope you caught what she said at the end. She said, if there's something that you really want, then setting a goal makes you 10 times likely to achieve it. So what she's saying is there are two things that you need. You, you need a desire. And then secondly, you need to set some goals. Now, if all of us can be honest and confess this morning, you know very well that you might have a desire and that you might set a goal, but you still don't achieve it. Hence, my illustration of 40,000 push-ups and 40,000 sit-ups. I have that desire. I have set that goal, but I have failed to accomplish it. Even after three months, I stopped. And as I think about this, I realize that we are our worst enemies. We do things that go against the very thing that we're trying to accomplish. Some of you have said or maybe are thinking about, I want to read the Bible more. But you're filling your lives with so many things that you have no time to read the Bible. Think about it this way. Some of you can relate. You said, wow, holidays, break, uh, one week off, you know, I'm going to take leave. And you're thinking in your mind, I am going to relax. I'm going to catch all the movies that I missed. I'm going to try to just take it slow. But what happened in the last week and a half? You have been the busiest more so than in the regular year. Why? Because you have packed it with all these gatherings and meetings. If that's not you, that's me. I'm just pooped out of I don't know how many gatherings. And I'm, nothing, if you were at those gatherings, we love you. I'm excited <laughs> that you were there. But I'm just telling you that it, it gets tiring because you're hosting people and you're going to gathering to another gathering. You're talking with people. And I realized I didn't spend the time that I needed to get rested for this new year in 2022. Now, the reason why I say that we are our worst enemies is because in McDonald's that's located in China, something about China, uh, they have decided that they wanted to keep their customers healthy. Now, you know that's a very oxymoronic <laughs> statement. You cannot be healthy and go to McDonald's and eat there all day. So what they did was this. They actually created a chair or, if you will, a place to sit down while you're eating, so I want to show you this video of what they uh, created in Shanghai, China. So let's watch this together. This is many of us. We have all these goals that we want to achieve, but we are our worst enemies. The very thing that we do is oftentimes the thing that hinders us from the goals that we want to achieve. I think it's easy to think that we're moving towards our goal especially as we go through the motions, rather than really examining ourselves and asking, am I accomplishing and achieving the things that God has for me? Or for us as a church, 
The problem with many of us is that we go to two extremes. We either have an overestimation of ourselves, thinking that we're better than we really are, hence my example, and then the reality is that those goals are unrealistic and we don't achieve them. And what happens for those of you who are very goal-oriented or results-oriented, you give up because you have an unrealistic goal because it's fueled by an overestimation of yourself. Bottom line, that is self-centered, borderline narcissistic at times. But bottom line is we think we're better than we really are. Some of us are on the opposite end. We're not, we don't have an overestimation. We have an underestimation of ourselves. So what happens? We set the goals really low. And so what happens when you set the goals really low? You feel good about yourself, but you're not challenged. You're not pushed. You don't reach to the next level that God might have for you. And these are the two extremes that we often go to. We either overestimate ourselves and put unrealistic goals and we don't achieve them, and then we give up. Or we have underestimate ourselves and put these wimpy goals that it doesn't even challenge us to grow, and we just feel good about ourselves because we did it. I think this is the why, the reason, or the key, if you want to look at it, for us achieving our goals is that it has to be challenging enough for us, but yet learning how to do things with faith and with dependence on God for strength to do them. I love what Johnny Arison Tata said in her book, Glorious Intruder. She writes this, faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into the misty future. It's simply, it's simply taking God at his word and taking the next step. It's that simple. That faith is really about taking God at his word because he said so, and then taking the next step. If every single one of us, starting from 2022 today, that we can actually live this out, trusting in his word and taking the very next step, I think we're going to be able to accomplish a lot not only in your personal life, but together in our life groups, as well as in our church, corporately, as the body of Christ. So that's why today I want to talk about this one thing, and it's simply this, that our faith sees the possibilities as God creates the opportunities. That faith, what it does, it helps us to see the possibilities, all that can be, as God, He's the one who creates the opportunities. So look at it this way. When God gives us an opportunity and we trust in him, have faith, then what happens is that that possibility becomes a reality. For some of us, because we're not connected to God, we can't even see the possibilities. And therefore, we miss those opportunities that God gives us. So what I'm going to do is instead of going over like two points, I'm just going to read the story and there's some important lessons that we gain from the story. And I want to kind of list them out as four areas if you want to look at what it really means to have faith and how it's connected to prayer. So let me first kind of, kind of put the setting in before we read the passage. Now, as many of you know, Jesus was the master at teaching. He taught the disciples all the time, just living 24-7 together, Every single day, every single moment, there was a teaching moment. And the thing was that he was trying to teach about the kingdom of God and how important it is to live a life that's completely different from the way they were living before. 
because they were under religion and the religion of Judaism, and it was about works. It was about what they were to do. But the thing is that time and time again, Jesus constantly rebuked the disciples or the people who were the Jewish people who were following, because why? They loved God with their lips, but their hearts were so far away. In fact, there's a whole section in the Bible that he says that you are hypocrites, that you look really good on the outside, but on the inside you are like whitewashed tombs. You're like that cup that's clean on the outside, but the inside where the contents go is completely dirty. And he's, what he's trying to teach is that it doesn't matter what you do, but what's really important is who you are. That's why in the Beatitudes in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, all the way to chapter 7, as he teaches about the kingdom lifestyle, you've constantly heard him say that you have once heard it said, it has been taught to you that, and then he begins to teach something completely different from what they heard. He often uses parables and stories with lessons, as well as teaching moments that were created by ordinary things throughout the day. That's why he's the master teacher, because he could take anything that's happening around him and make that into a lesson, to teach them about something about the kingdom of God, to teach them something about their hearts so they will repent and turn away from themselves and turn to God. And so this section in verse 20 through 25 is a continuation from a lesson that Jesus was trying to teach earlier in verse 12 through 14. So let me just first read verse 12 through 14. This is what it says. Let's read this. You can just follow along in your mind. I'll just read it out loud for us. It says this. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again and his disciples heard it. Now we notice that after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, if you have your Bibles, you can kind of peruse through that really quickly. Jesus and the disciples were headed into the temple. Now, right before the story about the figs that we're going to be reading, you notice that it was Jesus overturning the tables right near the temple because they were making it into a den of robbers or den of thieves. Then when they got close, and you will notice here that they saw the fig tree with leaves on it and thinking that there were fruits on it. But when they came, they realized there were no fruits. And this is the reason why when they got close to see if the figs were there, when they realized there was nothing, what did Jesus say? Jesus says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. In fact, he was cursing the tree. You're not going to produce any more fruit. This is it. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure that the disciples were surprised, as I think all of us would be. Because my thought is, why pick on this tree, Jesus? What, what did the tree do wrong, Jesus? Now, we're going to turn to the passage for today, and we're going to get some insights to what Jesus was actually trying to teach. Because once again, I want you to realize what happened earlier. There was a fig tree. And there were leaves on it. And whenever there are leaves on fig trees, it means that there should be figs. So Jesus actually went over to check it along with the disciples, and they realized there was no figs. And he says, from this point on, you showed the leaves, but you have no fruits. And because of that, 
what he did was no longer anyone will eat from this tree. Now let's go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 11, verse 20 through 25. And I'm going to read it for us. And it says this. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree wither the way to its roots. Now this is the same fig tree. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. That's kind of interesting because as we're reading the story, we see that Jesus clears out the temple and then as because the people were making into our marketplace rather than a house of prayer, they were cheating each other. There were a lot of things that were going on that was dishonoring God. And this is the reason why the religious leaders, if you read a little bit earlier, the religious leaders wanted to destroy him. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. Then in verse 19, it appears that Jesus and the disciples leave the city in order to spend the nights in Bethany, which is close to Jerusalem. Now, as they were going back into the city in the morning, we noticed that Peter saw the tree that Jesus cursed earlier. And he says, Rabbi, look, the tree that you cursed has withered. Then in verse 20, as we have just read, we see that the same fig tree withered away, and it says all the way to its roots. Then in verse 21, we see Peter notice this and points it out to Jesus. And as he says, look how it withered away. And Jesus' response, and this is the part that's important. It's interesting that his response of explaining what it is that he's trying to teach. He teaches the disciples four things. And he connects us to prayer and having faith. The first thing is this, and we're going to make it very simple. The first thing is the target. That's the first thing. I want you to think about the target. In verse 22, Jesus says, have faith in God. It's that simple. The message translation says, embrace this God life. Really embrace it. Now, when you think about have faith in God, what Jesus is trying to say, embrace this life that I'm inviting you to and I'm calling you to. When it comes to having faith, you can know what we are putting our faith in by seeing what it is that we embrace. I want you to think about this for a second. What is it that you fully give yourself to? This is the reason why some of you right now, even though it's only day two, some of you are experiencing heartaches already. Because what you are embracing is what you are putting your faith in. So if some of you are putting your faith in a relationship, I guarantee you that as you embrace it, that that person can disappoint you and hurt you. 
If some of you are trying to embrace success, significance, and none of those things are wrong in and of itself, but if you embrace it as if it's your whole life, you will realize very quickly that you're going to be disappointed. That's why Jesus says, have faith in whom? In God. The target and the very thing that you put your faith in will determine not only your life in the future, but it will also determine how you will pray. I think for many of us, we understand that it's only when things are difficult that we begin to pray. But everything before that, we have faith in ourselves. We have faith in circumstances. We have faith in that person. We have faith in our job. We have faith in our grades until those things are no longer there. I think this is one of the reasons why so many families struggle. When they're younger, it's easy to, quote, unquote, control them and tell them what to do, but wait until they grow up. Some of you are like, I don't need them to grow up. I'm having problems now. So think about it. What is it that you're embracing? What is it that you are focusing on? What is your target? Well, if the target or the object of our faith is not God, then we will constantly be searching. And as I mentioned earlier, you will be disappointed. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Now faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So it is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things are not seen. Now, as many of you understand, there's only one constant, and that is God. If you put your hope in anything that is a variable and changing, I'm going to tell you right now, you will be disappointed. Look at some of these other translations and read the yellow sections with me of Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says this in the New Living Translation. Faith shows what? The reality of what we hope for, it is the evidence of things we cannot see. So what we hope for is the very reality that we are longing for. Look at this other translation. The Passion Translation says this. Now faith brings what? Our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. So this idea of our hope turning into reality. This is the reason why some of you are cynical and many of you have doubts. Because you have hope for things, thinking that it will become a reality. But the problem is the things that you have put your hope in has, cannot fulfill you or those are things that are temporary and those things end up hurting you. Now, as I'm preaching this morning, all I can say is this. Those of you who have been hurt, those of you who have experienced either betrayal one way or another, some of us who have experienced just unrequited love or whatever it is, for us, we will realize that, wow, I've tried to make this a reality and I put my hopes in it, thinking that what I'm hoping for will become a reality and it doesn't. So your object of faith, the target of what you're put going towards it's not something that's constant. Look at this last translation. It says this. The faith is the assurance of things you have hoped for, the absolute conviction that there are what? Realities you've never seen. This idea of reality. 
It can only become a reality if it's something that is true and it's something that can be sure. This is why when we direct our hope, where we direct our hope is very important. If it's not in God's sovereignty, if it's not in God's power, if it's not in his goodness, then we will be disappointed. I see this all the time. I have to counsel people through some of these things. I see it in my own life where people get totally disillusioned. They start doubting. They start wondering if God is real. And when I sit down with them and try to deconstruct how they got to this point, I'm realizing a lot of it comes back down to what they were hoping for and this reality that they thought that God would give them. I'm thinking, where did, where did God say he's going to do that for you? And where in the world did you get that idea that God has to do that for you? Nowhere in the Bible does God say you're going to have a happy life. And I think this is the problem with so many people who become Christians, thinking especially the young Christians who are struggling with things in life, and all of a sudden someone shares the gospel with them, joy, God can give you joy, love, he'll forgive you of your sins. Oh, who doesn't want that? But they're still the master of their own lives. They haven't surrendered to the kingship and the lordship of Jesus Christ. So they still are in control. And in their mind, they're thinking this gospel is good news because I get to do whatever I want. It's all about me, myself, and I. And when God says to come and die, bid yourself dead so that you can live for Christ. And that's when things get hard. When you have to die to yourself, your own selfishness, your own self-desires of things that are not within the will of God, when you have to die to those things, that's when things are hard. Now, God did promise joy, but not necessarily happiness the way we see it. I don't see any scripture where God says he will give us comfort in the sense of what we understand comfort, which is kind of put in parentheses, convenience. He will comfort us, but he's not going to make life easy. And that's something we don't want to hear. This is the reason why so many of you are disillusioned in your walk with God. Because there is some kind of reality that you held in your mind. Because the target in which you're looking at is not God, but it's yourself. So when he doesn't deliver, when he doesn't provide this for you, or when something bad happens in your life, it is so difficult for you to still praise God and say, God, I don't deserve anything but death. Because of my sins, I've sinned against you. But in your grace, you have loved me and you have took care of me. You have provided in ways that are much more than I deserve. Can I ask us, where is your target? Who are you focused on? Because that will determine a lot of your reality. The second thing that I want you to notice that he teaches is not only the target, but he talks about trust, and they're kind of intertwined. In verse 23, we notice the word truly, and I talked about this before. In other translation, it says, I tell you the truth. Now, let me just say this. You definitely want people in your life who will tell you the truth. 
And I, I'm realizing some of this where, and I see myself do this at times. It's like we, we, we say something that's like, ooh, it might be a little bit. So we go, ha, 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 LOL. <laughs> Watch out for it. Watch out for it this week. Those people who are always like, ha, 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 LOL, after each comment. So sometimes I wonder, I wish I was there and see how they're typing. <laughs> I don't think so. But that's a defense mechanism. Ha, 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 LOL. So, now please, don't, don't be judging. You're not really laughing. <laughs> I remember what the pastor said. No, there are times when it's funny, so it's okay. So don't go to the other extreme of judging people if they go, ha, ha, ha. Life is hard. Ha, ha, ha. I don't know what you're <laughs> laughing about. But we do that to soften the blow. I understand why we do it. But let me just say this to you. If you don't have people who can speak truth into your life, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to grow. Period. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit ultimately is the one who will speak to you. But if you don't have people who love you enough to speak your truth, one of the things that I've noticed doing ministry for almost 30-some years is that people do not grow. You put yourself in a lot of situations and you realize that the more comfortable and convenient and easy it is, you don't grow. The less you use certain muscles in your body, entropy begins to happen and then that part of the body begins to weaken. That's just a fact. In the same way, if you don't exercise this trust, you don't exercise faith, you don't exercise this complete dependence on God, you're not going to grow in your walk with God. You're not going to be able to trust Him fully for other things that are going to happen in your life. Some of you have yet to experience a death in the family. Some of you have. It's one of the most difficult things. Some of you are going to go through trials in the future that you don't even know about. Because it doesn't mean that God is bringing it upon you because he's evil God. No, but we live in a world that's full of sin. That means that people will sin against you. You might get raped. Something might happen. You might get robbed. Some of you might lose certain parts of your body. We don't know what's going to happen. There might be tragedy, difficulties, hardship. And the thing is that here's God still loving you and trying to help you through that process so you can love him more trust him more. Not that he caused it, but when sin is in this world and people sin against you, he's trying to help you through it. But here's all this time where he's trying to develop more faith, develop more trust, that the reality is that you're coming up with is not reality. It's a self-centered reality, but God is trying to give you a God reality to put him as the main target of all that we do because he already sees the future. He knows what's coming up in your life in many ways, and that's why he's trying to work things out. I was thinking about this recently because I was talking to some brothers that I'm spending some time with. And one of the things that I've been trying to help a lot of these people to understand is this, that everything that we go through in our lives, it is so easy after the fact to give him praise. But it's the faith that is demonstrated, the dependence that is demonstrated during the difficulties of it, which is usually in the middle, 
really reveals who you are. That's why I keep on saying there's no glory at the end. In the sense where if you were doubting him, you hated him, you were cursing him, you were just pushing everyone away, all of a sudden a miracle happened, you go, oh, praise God. What glory is there? I mean, God will receive some. But what will be more honoring to God is while you're going through the difficult, you can still hold on and believe that he's trustworthy. That you still hold on and believe that he has a plan for your life. So here's Jesus who says, I tell you the truth. Because he loves us. More than you will know. And the reason why he says that over and over again in the Gospels is because he's trying to address a mindset or a perspective that was formerly held and he's trying to expand the people's mind. The reality that they came up with is so small because it's all about them. God is trying to expand that. That's why he's saying, I tell you the truth. Verily, verily, or truly, I say to you. Because what he's saying is what you thought was true might not be. And he's trying to open our minds to give us the perspective that we need. That's why Jesus uses a hyperbole. Now, those of you who don't know, it's a figure of speech where things are exaggerated in order to prove a point or to emphasize the very lesson that he's trying to teach. And we'll see this all the time in the scriptures of this hyperbole. And so he says that a person can say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. Now, some of you are going to go out to Mount San and go, take up yourself and be thrown into the sea. And nothing happens. Well, God's not there, right? It's an exaggeration, a hyperbole of the point that he's trying to make. What is that point? Because as many of you know, a mountain is almost like an immovable object or an obstacle or something that it takes a long time for it to slowly erode away, if any. And so the point he's trying to make is only God can do it. Everyone say, God can do it. Only God can do it. That's the point that he's trying to make. You could say to this mountain to be taken up, be lifted up, and thrown into the sea. I can't do that, but only God can. But it's going to require trust. Trust in him and trust in what he's able to do. This is why trust in who God is plays such an important part in believing for God to do the humanly impossible, but the divinely possible. Can I ask us this morning, what are some things that you're facing right now that seems humanly impossible? What are some things you're facing right now in your life that's outside of your control? It could be something related to your family, someone that you love and they don't know Jesus, and you're wondering, will they ever come to know Jesus Christ? Some of you are in a situation where it might be a physical ailment. Some of you might be in a situation where it's at work or situations that you're facing at school and you're realizing that there is no way humanly possible that it could be done. Some of you experienced that because there's humanly possible. I cannot pass this class, but by God's grace, you passed. Oh. 
Okay, now we see the GPA of our students right here. You can feel it. You can feel it. Kind of like a little bit on the lower side because they're like, woohoo! I got a D. Praise the Lord. Stands for dynamite. Maybe it's a relationship with your coworkers, your colleagues. I think too often when we don't have this kind of trust, we start to doubt. That's when the struggle begins. That's why James, he wrote to the people and he talks about asking God for wisdom. He talks about trusting that God will answer the prayer that we're asking. Because he says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to those who ask. And then in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, or 6 through 8, listen to what it says. It says, after he says that, he says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in whom? God alone. There's our target. It's in God. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. I mean, if you've ever seen by the seaside a boat that's going back and forth because the wave is coming, that's exactly a person who prays and doubts. They go back and forth. Maybe God wants to, maybe not. I don't know. If I could only do this, maybe I can. And I know I can. And you go back and forth. And then in verse 7, it says that such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because our hearts are divided. It's almost as if God is saying, what is it that you want? If you don't believe that I could do it, then you find a way that you can get it done. If you believe that I can do it, then why won't you trust me? And then in verse 8, it says, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. Where's your loyalty? Do you fully trust in God? So we got the target, have faith in God, and we have the trust that you could say to this mountain as a, hyper, uh, as a hyperbole saying that even though it cannot be moved, humanly speaking, but if you believe in who God is and what he can do, that you could almost say to this mountain to move and it's going to move. The third thing that we notice is the task. Well, then what should we do? Should we just wait there? and believe that somehow God is going to help us to move forward, accelerate into our future? No, there's some things that we see clearly that Jesus teaches. In verse 24, we have to remember that it does not mean that God will give us anything that we want. Look at verse 24 again. Can we look at verse 24? It says this, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. <laughs> Lord Lamborghini, I believe it. Lord, a husband, I, I believe it. And you open your eyes and there he is. And you're like, where did this guy come from? F from heaven above. So, 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 so here's the thought. Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe, and then you will receive it and it will be yours. Now, is he doing one of those fast switcheroo, you know, like in New York, where they're like, okay, where is the ball? You know, like, wah, wah, wah. here. You're like, oh, is that what God is doing? I think what's important is you've got to understand the whole counsel of Scripture, the whole Bible. 
You have to understand that what God is trying to say, what Jesus is trying to say, is that the promise of God, that is the thing that God will answer, which is the premise that every time you pray, if it is in line or aligned with his will, we see that he will answer. Maybe not the way you want it to, but he will answer according to his perfect will and his perfect timing. Now, just remember this. Just because the prayer that you lift up has not been answered does not mean he's not answering it. Can I get a good amen to that? Because it, it might not be the right timing. As I always share, if my kids, when they were younger, Dad, let me have that samurai knife, and then I give it to them. Uh, people would die. But he decides to go to Japan and become a famous samurai warrior. Then he goes, Dad, can I have the samurai knife, sword? Then I'll give it to him. Are you with me? Sometimes we ask for things when we, are, we don't even know what we're asking. Some of you are like, but I do. I, I want that job. I want to get married. I need that financial security. I need this. And what God is saying is, no, you don't. You're so mean, God. No, he's not. Because if you had that relationship, you're not going to trust in God. You're going to start trusting in that person more. They will become your functional God. If you had that job, you're going to just feed. I, I promise I'll tithe. Right. Because <laughs> you will use it for yourself. And you will receive the glory for yourself. Like I got the job with my talents. That's why when you look at open doors and opportunities, it's God who's orchestrating things and preparing you for that moment. When I look at my life and all the things that God allowed me to do and allowed me to experience, one thing that I can be sure of is this. When I think, think about every single one of those opportunities, and some of them were great opportunities, was that God was preparing me. I always tell people, there's a reason why God didn't bring me to Hong Kong when my wife and I, we first got married, because we went to Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor, Michigan. Praise the Lord, even though they get beat up by uh, dogs and stuff like that. But anyway, <laughs> praise the Lord. Because in Ann Arbor, there's only about 116,000 people, which is pretty much one of these biggest states where there's like four towers. What God was trying to do was that he was trying to teach me how to be faithful with what little that I have. If I cannot be faithful in reaching the city of 116,000, there's no way I'm going to be reaching a city of 7.4 million people. Are you with me? God knew that if I cannot be humble with what I have in Ann Arbor, then there's no way as God opens up opportunities that never before in this side of the world, because in, in the States, you, you fly two hours, you just move to a different state. But in Asia... Because right in the middle of the circle is Hong Kong, and you fly anywhere in this direction, in any direction, you're in a whole different country. That God knows, and he's saying that you got to be faithful with what you have. And that's why I'm telling you right now, there are some things that God is preparing for you. He's preparing for us as a church. And the thing is that he wants to see if right now, with what has been given to you, are you taking advantage of it in a way that will honor him and glorify him. Are you utilizing all that you have? Some of you right now, let me speak truth into your life. You have people in your life right now who can invest in you and who are investing in some of you. Some of you are not taking advantage of that opportunity because next year you might not have that. 
And some of you are like, oh, no, oh, I no, it's because your heart is in the wrong place. I was talking to some other people, and I'm going to tell you right now, whenever someone sits there in church or life group, and they're like, oh, there's nowhere to serve. Are you kidding me? There are so many avenues for you to serve. So many. In a life group level as well as a whole church level. Some of you who come from these big mega churches, they have paid staff to do all those things. But we have volunteers who love Jesus, who love the mission of God, and they want to be able to advance the vision that God has. And I'm telling you, there are so many ways to serve, whether it's in a ministry team, either in salt, in their life group. There's so many ways to participate. So at the end of the day, if you're not serving or you're making excuses, there's nowhere to serve. The bottom line is you don't want to serve. You're making excuses. Or you're trying to tailor everything to what you want. What is it that God is trying to do? Because the lessons he's teaching you now is preparing you for what he has in the future. Now, the point I want to make, and I got lost here. Uh, the task, the prayer that we lift up has to be in line with God. Now, I want you to look at some of these verses. These are verses that are important. I want to highlight some of these things. It says this, whatever you ask, what? Come on. In my name, this I will do, and the Father may... Be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Some of you are like, that's why we say, in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' holy name, Lord, amen. You know, we, we lift up these prayers in Jesus' name, and then all of a sudden it's going to be done. No, it's not. That's not what he's saying. Once again, in my name means name is the character of God. Everything that is about me. Who I am, as long as that prayer is in line with who God is and his heart for us and heart for the world, then it says what? He will do it. Are you with me? Can I get a good amen to that? That's why some of you who are thinking, why isn't God answering my prayer? Check this out. Here's another verse, if you don't believe me. In that way, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father, in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Here's another verse I want you to look at. It says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, the problem, the reason why some of our prayers are not really being activated to the point where you're actually seeing God work powerfully because you're not abiding. Now, why is abiding so important? Because when you abide, which means to remain, to trust, to depend on, that means you know God's heart. Some of us are praying for things because you're not abiding in him, so you don't know what is God's heart. Now, my wife and I, we've been married for about 20, uh, going on in 26 years, and I always tell people this. In the beginning, our signals were like all mixed up. She was like trying to say something, and then I'm just like, huh? You know, and we, we just, and there were times when she would just like go, hee, smile. I'm like, huh? Like, what? And I realized later she was saying, is there any food in my mouth, in my teeth? I'm like, how would I know that when you go, ee? And I wouldn't know that. But the more I lived with her, got to know her, 
go through a lot of different arguments, learning how to love, learning how to forgive, learning. And you go through a long period of this kind of life together. Guess what happens? Now, all she has to do is give me a look. And I'm like, oh, whoop, that's not good. Before, she'll be like, Seth. And I'll be like, oh, whatever. Seth. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah. But now when she goes, Seth, I'm like, yes. Because <laughs> just from the summertime in her tone, I know when it's something that is urgent or something that she's just calling out my name for taking care of something. We just had a, a gathering recently of some of the people who were part of our church plant in the beginning of the year. Some had moved on, but there were some who were with us. And, um, I mean, she did 99.9 of the cooking and preparing. I, I was so humble. And when I did try to help, it didn't look very good. So she goes, stop, I'll do it. And so, like, you know, I, it's a lose-lose. But anyway, um, <laughs> but hey. I might not be able to make this Korean dumpling very well because it just all opens up and do all that stuff. But hey, I can take out the garbage. <laughs> I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> and I could come and take the bowls and bring it to the room. I could put some of the seaweed and put it on top of the soup. I can do that. Sometimes you'll be like, you put too much. But anyway, I, I can do a little bit of that. What am I saying? <laughs> Marry a good wife, you know? <laughs> That's not the lesson. Because if she wasn't, then she would have left me a long time ago, okay? So listen, the point is this. The more you know a person, the more you know what's on their heart. Can I get a good amen to that? Yeah. That they don't have to say much. You just know their heart. You know what they want. You know what they need. So here, Jesus is teaching, if you abide in me, and what's going to happen is that the things that you ask for is going to be reflective of my relationship with you. You will know my heart. This is the reason why we're trying to encourage you to do so. Because how else are you going to get to know God besides his word? Are you going to wait every single year for a retreat? Are you going to wait every single year for a missions project? No, 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 no. Two years, we haven't had it. <laughs> it's every single day, you and God, with the word, to understand his heart for you and what he desires. Here's another verse, quickly. Let's, let, last one. It says this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. It says this, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything, what? According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him according to his will. When you learn how to abide, and then as we ask of it, in his name. Now, why is all this important? Because let's look at verse 24 again. Let's look at verse 24. If I tell you whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Let me just quickly break that sentence down. First of all, is perceive. To ask God what it is that we are seeing, what we are perceiving in the situation. So pretty much is this. Do you see the need? 
Are you perceiving the needs around you when you pray? Because some of us, all we do is pray for ourselves. When was the last time you prayed for somebody in your life group? When was the last time you prayed for your boss, your coworker? When was the last time you prayed for your family members instead of getting so frustrated and thinking that, oh, they're not going to change? When was the last time you actually prayed for your children, prayed for your parents? When was the last time? When was the last time you prayed for our church because of all the needs that are going on? When was the last time you prayed for your campus? And when was the last time you prayed for the lost people that are around you every single day going to spend a Christless eternity because they don't know Jesus Christ. Some of us, what we have problems with is we're not perceiving what's happening around us and the things that break God's heart, it doesn't break our heart. This is the reason why some of your prayers are just kind of tossed out there because it's all about you and God says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to give you that samurai sword. This is the key. Do you see, are you perceiving what's happening around you? That's why even as we're turning, the turning point is that when you start turning the corner, you got to see what's ahead, and then you got to accelerate towards that because you believe that this is what God desires. The second thing is this we see. It says believe. So you perceive, and then you believe. Because once again, it's tied in with who God is. Is he faithful to his word? Do you believe that? Do you believe in what he said? in his word. So you got to perceive the need. You got to then believe in what, who God is and what he has said. And the third thing is this, you receive. When you receive it, you receive it with not only faith, but you receive it with gratitude. That's why I think one of the most powerful things you could ever do in your prayer life is this. Listen to me carefully. Is that you're able to thank God even before you've received it. Does that make sense? To say, God, thank you. That whatever I pray for in your name, as I abide in you, that it will come to pass. The reason why it's so powerful is because it's an act of faith. Gratitude is sometimes an act of faith. To thank God ahead of time before it happens is an act of faith. To be able to come and say, God, I believe that you are going to speak to me. You're going to bless me today. You're going you're to speak something, a word in my heart to transform my heart. It hasn't happened, but you, you believe that and you thank God for it. That is receiving it by faith. Think about so many other things in life where it doesn't fully happen because it's got to maturate a little bit, but you receive it, but you're waiting until it grows. And you receive it by faith. So you perceive, and then you believe, and then you receive. The fourth and last, I'm going to close quickly with this one. The target we talked about, the trust. Here's the task of prayer as we perceive, believe, receive. And then the fourth and last one is the test. I thought this was interesting. In verse 25, Jesus closes out his talk about prayer and faith by talking about forgiveness. Listen to me carefully. He does the exact same thing in the book of Matthew while he taught the Beatitudes about the kingdom lifestyle. And he says, when you're coming to worship God and you're bringing an offering and then you realize at that moment that there's somebody that you need to forgive, 
He says, leave the offering there, go back to that person and ask for forgiveness, reconcile, and then come back and worship. This is the same concept when he says, and whatever you, whenever you stand praying, it says, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, why is this significant? Because when you are able to forgive people, it shows you what you know about God. It should reveal to you your understanding of the gospel. I want that to sit for a little bit. If you, who are sinful, if I, who is sinful, and God forgives me, that helps me to understand who God is. That He's rich in mercy, He's rich in grace, He's rich in love to forgive a person like me. And then you turn around and there's somebody that you cannot forgive. That just clearly shows that you think you're better than God because God can forgive them. Are you with me? Does that make sense? I'm going to pause here and challenge some of us with this thought. I'm wondering if some of your prayers are not being answered because there are people in your life that you cannot forgive. Your parents, your roommates, your bosses, your life group leaders. <laughs> we did the midway evaluation, uh-huh. <laughs> we don't know who you are, but you could feel it. We could also feel some of you who don't care. Yes, no, yes, no, great, awesome, nothing, not available, okay, bye. <laughs> Can you think about that for a moment? I'm wondering if there are some prayers that are not being answered because there are people in your life that you are not willing to forgive. And because of that, no matter how much you're like, God, what is your purpose? He's not going to show you his purpose. God, what do you want me to do? He's not going to tell you. Because the way you understand your forgiveness with God, the forgiveness that God gives to you, is in which you are going to live out the gospel message that freely he has forgiven and now you freely forgive. Freely you have received this forgiveness and now you freely give this forgiveness to others. Can I just challenge us with this? It's a test. You can say, I have great faith, Lord. I have great trust. You're my target. You're the one. And I know how to do all this stuff because I'm good at doing things. And what God is looking for is your heart. You can set all the goals. You can have all these dreams. You can try to plan out your life. But if your heart does not fully comprehend the gospel that God has forgiven you through Jesus Christ, and therefore you cannot forgive others who are around you, what Jesus is saying is, I'm testing you. What you have received from me, are you going to be faithful and share that with others? The love, the mercy, the grace. I love what C.S. Lewis said. This will give us some insights, the mere Christianity. Listen to what he says on page 132. It says this. When you come to know God, 
the initiative lies on his side. If he does not show himself, nothing you can do will enable you to find him. And in fact, he shows much more of himself to some people than to others. Not because he has favorites, but because it is impossible for him to show himself to a man or a woman whose whole mind and character are in the wrong condition. This is important. Listen to what he says. Just as sunlight, though it has no favorites, cannot be reflected in a dusty mirror as clearly as a clean one. You can put this another way by saying that while in other sciences the instruments you use are things external to yourself, things like microscopes and telescopes, the instrument through which you see God is your whole self. And if a man's self is not kept clean and bright, his glimpse of God will be what? Blurred. Like the moon seen through a dirty telescope. That is why horrible nations have horrible religions. They have been looking at God through a dirty lens. Wow. Now, I'm not trying to guilt you to live a holy life. But when there's sin in our lives, like lack of forgiveness, that's a sin. Don't excuse it. Well, they hurt me. I'm the victim. Yes, they have hurt you. We're not, condoning their, we're not condoning their behavior, but your bitterness, your lack of forgiveness, that is a sin according to the Bible. So here you are trying to pray, trying to serve, trying to do all these things, and everything that you look at is tint, just tainted and tinted in a way that you cannot see clearly. Just like trying to look at your phone in a dark place where there's low light on your phone. It's much different than seeing it brightly. Or the worst is when there's smudges on your lens and you take a picture and say, what is wrong with my camera? There's something wrong with your camera. It's the lens. Hence, Samsung is greater than Apple. If you don't believe me, ask Jambalaya Life Group, and they will tell you why. <laughs> Calling them out here. Listen. Who's your target? Do you trust him or her or whatever it is that you're targeting? What is the task at hand? And what is the test? If your target is God, then you begin to see him for who he is, clearly. That he's greater than you. He's more powerful than you. Whatever you have planned, it's only God that could bring it past. When you look at him, he's your target, then he is trustworthy. You can trust him. And then everything you do in your task of things of prayer and everything you're doing, engaged in serving him, living for him, you'll realize that it's going to be in line with the things of his heart and that's where God will bless. And then he might test you because there's things in your heart that you're not willing to surrender. Can you give that up to fully say, God, because I've experienced the gospel, I want to live for you. So the one thing, once again, is that our faith sees the possibilities as God creates the opportunities. I'm going to give you some really practical next steps because I think for some of us, 
we can just come to the point of, oh, that means I just got to pray more. Not necessarily. The first thing is this. The first thing that I want to give you as the next step is discipline yourself with God's word. If you don't know God's word, listen to me carefully. If you do not know God's word, you will not know his promises. You will not know what to pray for. Many of you at this moment, you, the prayers that you lift up is all about you. Because you don't know God. And this is why you doubt. This is why you falter in living and walking for him. Why? Because you don't know God. Till this day, I just don't see anybody spiritually. That's some deep bass, bro. <laughs> Sounds like a G or C. Anyway, listen. I haven't met anyone in my close to 40 years of walking with God who knows God and knows Him well, intimately, the way He operates, the things of His heart. I haven't known people who have not read the Bible. We're starting a BRP, the Bible reading plan. Some of you are just one day off. It's much better than 3,000 and or 33,400-something sit-ups away. You're one day off. There's so many things that some of you just do unconscious. I pray that that will be the word. Some of you always turn to Instagram or some of these, old, and you don't even think. You just turn to it. It's a habit. What would it be like if you made it a habit every single day to get into God's word? You're going to get to know him more this year. And the more you get to know him, the more you know his promises, the more you're going to be able to perceive what's happening around you, the more you're going to believe, and the more you're going to be able to receive. So discipline yourself with God's word. This is what's going to help you to not make the wrong conclusions about who God is and what he's trying to do. Get to know him through the word. There is no shortcut in this. Find some people who will do it with you and kind of challenge you to do it. I love it. Sometimes throughout the day, I'm just so busy running around. Then one of our, my groups that I have in chat, they send out a soap. I'm like, oh, it's another reminder. I got to do this. And then sometimes I go through this mental thing where I'm just like, oh, I'm the only one in my group who didn't do this. And here I am leading and trying to say all this stuff. And if I don't do what I'm saying, telling people to do, then it's going to be hard for them to respect me and follow me. So discipline yourself in the Word. The second thing is this, develop your prayer life. One of the things I got really convicted of, about is it's difficult for us to spend extended time in prayer. And so what I decided to do is make a commitment about prayer and divide it up into different times in the day that I'm going to pray this coming year. you gotta, you, you got to develop this. And some of you have a hard time praying more than a minute or two minutes, then pray with other people and learn. I don't mind when people start copying other people's prayer because that tells me there's discipleship going on. But after a while, you're gonna, it's not going to be a habit where you copy people, but you're going to have this closer, intimate relation. Some of you are still young. Some of you are still baby Christians, if you will. You're not even toddler. You're not even a teenager yet, spiritually. And so there's nothing wrong with copying prayers or learning how to pray with somebody. 
But slowly as you start maturing, that prayer has to be out of your experience of God, not their experience. But start somewhere. Develop a prayer. If some of you struggle with prayer, then take a psalm, a psalm every single day, and just read that psalm and put your name for the I. And it will help you to pray, help you to focus. The third thing is this. Demonstrate faith by going big. Everyone say, go big. And you know the other part of it, or go home. So here's the big. What is it in your life right now that if you were to pray about it and you were to live by faith, everyone will be like, whoa. That's pretty big. That's like humongous. That's like awesome. What would that be? To get an A in my class. Are you kidding me? There are millions and billions of people who are dying without Jesus Christ. You're A minus, you'll live. Is it just my job that I could get a promotion? There are people who are starving. People who are in war-torn countries who don't know Jesus Christ. Don't make life about you. Demonstrate faith by going big. So what do you do? Whatever it is, first of all, believe that God can do it. Whatever you're praying for, make sure it's big. Believe that God can do it. Secondly, increase God's fame. Make it all about Him. Make it about Him rather than yourself. And lastly, grab the opportunity. Everyone say, grab the opportunity. We'll share more, and we're still trying to discern. But as you can tell, as we get ready for this new year. There might be a possibility we might have to go to two services. I said might, so keep that word in mind. So I'm like, oh my God, I gotta serve more. <laughs> check your heart, check your heart, your lens, your lens. Your lens is dirty, okay? Or as we've been talking about to reach more people in Hong Kong, we might have to start another site. Which means that this is going to be one of those big prayers that we have to lift up. That we want to increase God's fame. That we want to believe that God can do it. And if this is the opportunity, then we're going to grab it. This is the reason why this past year in August, maybe a little bit earlier, around July, we decided to start a life group at BCTU. And I'm telling you right now, there are some people who thought that we're going to start next year in 2022. But I'm like, no, 2021. There were some people who say, Pastor, some of our other life group, our campuses are struggling. Why do we need to do this? What happened was God was showing us all these different things that were lining up to his heart. And there was an opportunity. And we grabbed it. We went in faith. Not that we had everything all put together. We went in faith. And already we have seen people come to know Jesus Christ. Already we see God working and providing different things, opening doors. See, I was thinking if we didn't start it this year, someone else would have started it. Or we would have had to wait and not experience these things that God has for us. I'm so glad that we took that step of faith. There are things right now in 2022 
that God wants us to grab that opportunity because it's all about him. Increasing his fame. More people come to know Jesus Christ. Reaching the city for the glory of God. Reaching your campus. Reaching your workplace for the glory of God. And the last one is this. Depend on God for the results. We don't create the results. Can I get a good amen to that? Depend on God for the results. He's the one who will produce the fruits. We just faithfully sow and we water. But it's God who makes it grow. So let's believe that by faith. That whatever it is that we're putting our hearts to as we pray. That as we begin to grow in faith. As we accelerate forward in 2022. That we will see great things for the kingdom of God. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.